My father is the scariest man I've ever known, and when armed with a bottle of beer, he reaches nightmare levels. Just the crackle of his belt or the rise of his voice is enough to make me shake like a leaf. One night, when I struggled to get comfortable in bed from the bruises and sounds of my mom's crying, I hatched an ingenious idea to stop the pain and suffering. Scared dad. Clearly, he just didn't know how his actions made us feel, but if I scared him like he scared us, maybe he would change his ways. I tried anything I could think of to produce some fright and scare dad straight. I would hide and jump out at him, but he didn't even flinch. I placed a toy snake in his toilet, but that only resulted in a beating for me. Finally, I thought of destroying his alcohol. I know that people become scared when they lose something they love. So one by one, I poured my dad's bottles down the drain and eagerly awaited his reaction. I knew this would be it. This would be the thing to scare him. That night, I remember my father discovering the empty bottles and becoming angrier than I had ever seen him. I still remember him wrecking the house. I remember him storming into my room. I remember his hands around my neck and me seeing black. Luckily, my plan and hard work that night paid off though. Today my father lives in a constant state of fear. I'm always watching him. How timid and nervous he is all the time. Whenever I pay him a visit, his complexion turns pasty white. His body shivers like I used to and he breaks out into a cold sweat. I scared my father so good, you would think that he saw a ghost. I couldn't believe it when I first discovered the online chats, my little girl talking with a random man on the internet. I felt my soul leave my body. I thought I raised her better, but in hindsight, I guess I should have been more observant. She's grown distant since the divorce and maybe this is her way of receiving validation. I knew I had to do something drastic before this escalated and something despicable happened to my baby. I knew I couldn't confront her head on with this discovery. She's a teenager and surely a confrontation would just lead her to keeping more secrets and dissolving trust over my snooping. I had a plan to scare her straight and show her the danger involved with talking to strangers online. I cut a deal with an employee at my company to create an account and contact my daughter on one of those online forums. Once they hit it off, he would pick her up and bring her to one of our warehouses. He would build up the suspense as a cliche older creep, really put the fear of God in her. Then I would swoop in and point out how the consequences of her reckless actions could be deadly. The plan was executed to perfection and after a few days my daughter agreed to meet up she thought she was stealthy and snuck out at night to meet the stranger. I waited a few minutes and proceeded to make my way towards the warehouse. When I arrived, I saw my daughter exiting the building. She was pale as a ghost and wiping away tears. I had my grin as I got out of the car and approached her. Dad, she yelped as she ran towards me full speed. I'm sorry, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I actually did something like this. Can you please not tell anyone about this? I felt a sense of beaming pride. My little girl had learned a valuable lesson and in this moment, our relationship felt restored. Baby girl, all I care about is your safety. Promise me you'll never do anything like this again and we can pretend it never happened. She shot me a smile and nodded. 
I started to move towards the car when she stopped me. You're the best dad a girl could ask for. But we can't leave yet, daddy. You have to help me hide the body. A few nights ago, I was woken up by the sound of my father ordering someone to put their hands up. I'd left my window open that night to let the cool air in and I could hear him loud and clear. I hopped out of bed and was looking out my window. Someone had been in our barn and my dad caught them red-handed. In fact, when I ran outside after grabbing a flashlight and my pistol, both of the man's hands were red, his face too, fresh blood, but none of it his. What the hell are you guys doing in there? My father said, aiming his shotgun right at the man's face. No, not man. Boy. He looked like he had barely hit puberty. The boy's eyes started welling up. I, I, please don't fucking shoot me. Jesus Christ. My parents have money. I'm sure they'll pay you and you can forget all about this. God, I'm so sorry. Please. My dad looked back and we shared a knowing glance. So you're from that prep school. Okay. You would rather not feel what a face of birdshot feels like. I hear you. What were you just doing in my goddamn barn? Oh my god, I'm fucking sorry. The boy fell to his knees. It was a hazing thing, I swear. My dad told me that I had to join the secret club in school, and they said I needed to prove myself. By doing what? I asked. Something bad, he admitted. They told me to kill something. I swear it was quick. I just used the blood to make it look bad, so they would let me in. Who'd you kill? My dad asked, taking a step towards the boy, for emphasis. One of your horses. I promise I'll pay you for it. I'm good for it, really. I didn't know whether I bought it until I saw the boy had pissed his pants. Dad, this is way over our heads. Secret clubs for rich psychos? I think we should just take the money before he shits himself too. He looks back, considering it for a moment. Fine. Double what the horse is worth. Pain and suffering and all that. Deal. The boy left his student ID behind his collateral and promised to return the next evening with the money. He never showed. The next night, though, we found him in the barn again. His throat was slit, a deep cut nearly halfway around his neck. The knife was left next to the body, now surrounded by the blood that drained out of him. The boy was all tied up zip ties keeping his hands behind his back and his ankles together. He would have been helpless when they stuck the needle through his lips over and over again, sewing them shut. I didn't need the note they stapled to his chest to understand. The message was loud and clear before I even read the paper. Forget about us. After spending yet another day at home with nothing to do, I went to bed early. The uneasy rest was interrupted by a shattering of glass. The electronic awareness of fear pulled me out of bed before I was even sure of what I heard. I ran softly to my bedroom door, making sure it was still locked, and I pressed my ear against it. From the direction of the living room, I heard crunching of glass. Someone had broken one of my windows, and now was walking on the shards. Someone was in my house. I returned to my bed, trying in vain to stop myself from panicking. I immediately began to call 911, holding up the phone with one hand, while the other one searched my nightstand for something to defend myself with. I picked up my lamp, nearly dropping it as the cord tensed, and used my foot to pull the plug from the wall. 
The automated system warned me that there's a high volume of calls and asked me to stay on the line if there is an emergency. I wondered for the first time what the home invaders intentions were. Did they want to hurt me? Were they out to steal my valuables? Did they want to raid my toilet paper supply? Nothing was off the table. People have been crazy lately. I stayed away from the door, putting safety above curiosity that told me to try hearing what they were up to again. After a minute of terrified silence, the emergency operator finally took my call. I whispered the details to them, including my name and address, and they told me that help was on the way before hanging up. After I set the phone down, I heard the handle of my bedroom door jiggle. Open the door. A man's gruff voice called out. We know you're in there. I called the police assholes. I yelled back, so you better get the fuck out of here. The man laughed lightly. Careful, he said simply. I don't want to make a mess, but if you force my hand, open the door. Fuck you, I yelled back. I waited for an answer and got nothing. The piercing silence rang in my ears and I wondered if he had actually given up that easily. Then, almost without a sound, the handle began jiggling again. After a few clicks and scrapes, the door unlocked and slowly began to open. I watched in horror as it swung into the room, revealing nothing but the shadow beyond the new open doorway. From the darkness, I heard the gruff voice simply say, You're not Anthony. Who, my neighbor? After more silence, the voice responded, This is 4059, right? 4061, I corrected, holding my lamp tightly. The voice chuckled softly, My bad, wrong place. I'll be on my way. And after a moment of silence, he said, And hey, stay inside, alright? It's not safe out there. I received an email this morning that immediately caught my eye. Watch at your earliest convenience, it said. The email had a video attachment named after Owen, my son. I started the video, which showed two teenagers in a dimly lit classroom. Behind the teacher's desk was a taller boy obscured by darkness, and on the other side sat Owen. They were both in the uniform of the Catholic boarding school Owen had been sent to last year, a school I'd attended in my teenage years. I had fond memories of the place. The rules were strict, but there was a lot of trouble to get into if you had the right peers. The boy behind the desk began to speak. Owen, consider this an interview. If I like what I hear, you will become the newest member of the Sinners Club, effective immediately. Yes, President, Owen said, brushing sweat from his forehead. What is your greatest sin? The president said simply, almost innocently. Owen scratched his chin. That's a tough one. Do you mean more violent or impactful? The president laughed. I'd love to hear both. Let's start with the violence. Owen sat up in his chair, excited. When I was a kid, I found a puppy on my way home from school threw away the collar and tags and told my parents it was a stray. My dad said we had to get rid of it, so I did. How? The president leaned forward, and I could see a smile forming on his shadowy face. Took it to a field by my house, 
stomped it until it stopped moving, didn't even bury it. Owen was grinning madly at the memory of it. The president leaned back, almost disappointed. The impact story then. One of my teachers in middle school was getting too comfortable a few years back. Started acting like he was my boss. I got rid of him too. The president leaned forward again. Okay, how? Owen giggled to himself. Bribed a girl from my class. Got her to accuse him of sleeping with her. The president grunted in approval. And he lost his job? Worse, Owen said, eyes shining. Fired, divorced, suicide. All in a calendar year. Cliché, but effective, the president noted, crossing his arms. So, Owen asked, am I in? I'll be honest, Owen. You're entertaining, but your sins are childish. Your dark spirit is relatively youthful compared to ours, but perhaps it will mature, even curdle with time. Welcome to the Sinners Club. I paused the video as they shook hands. As I expected, Owen had the potential to succeed, but not the maturity to truly impress his new peers. Concerning, yes, but certainly not surprising. He was always more brutish than clever. When I was president at Owen's age, I wouldn't have accepted him. But perhaps this boy saw something in him. However, however, it was just as likely that he only got in based on legacy preference. If so, he won't last long. My daughter was the rebellious type, but never one to run away. Sure, she had her constant squabbles with her mother and I that all teens are prone to, but she had no money or car. I know she didn't just up and leave. I know this was something worse. Within days, search dogs led authorities to a deep wooded area where police found a ripped bloody shirt. DNA testing showed it belonged to our daughter. My wife and I immediately told officers about the boyfriend. Our daughter was only 17, but she was hanging around a 20-year-old loser. Her grades had tanked, her relationship with the family dissolved, and her behavior became intolerable. He was a terrible influence. He was the root of all the family's problems. Surely he had something to do with this. A search warrant was executed and a bloody knife was discovered in his car. He was placed under arrest and my wife and I finally thought we could get some sleep at night. That sense of calm was disrupted when we received a phone call in the middle of the night. Police had found my daughter. She was still alive. She had survived a slash to the neck and several self-defense stab wounds to the hands and arms. She had ripped up her shirt to bandage the wounds and stumbled through the wilderness before being discovered by a search party. She was taken to the hospital and we were told to drive over right away. My wife and I jumped out of bed and rushed to the hospital at record speed. When we arrived, the nurses left the room and gave us some alone time with our daughter. We walked towards her timidly and waited for her to speak. She looked at us with a smile and said, You should have cut deeper. I can't wait until we're all back home.
I had a pretty lonely childhood. No siblings, no mom. It was just me and my dad. But I always had the best birthdays. Every single birthday after my mom left was the best day ever. Why? One reason. Everyone celebrated it. Somehow, every person I crossed paths with knew my name and offered me presents. Whatever was nearby. Anything they could get their hands on. It was like everyone was a close personal friend as soon as I got near them. It was like a superpower. The best part was that no one remembered it. As soon as I walked far enough away, they always got confused looking and realized that whatever they'd given me, usually their phone or wallet, was suddenly missing. However, this year was different and I think it's my fault. My birthday is September 6th. Last year, it was during my first week of college. After a day of everyone on campus treating me like a king, I got this ridiculous boost of confidence and completely reinvented myself. I made friends, finally got a girlfriend, and I was really, truly happy every day of the year. But I took it for granted. I let myself get greedy, which sounds ridiculous in hindsight. You'd think that a kid used to nothing would be a little more grateful, right? I had an affair over the summer. I didn't plan to, but... It happened, and I kept it secret. Worse, the girl I'd been with thought I was single, so when I dumped her right before heading back to school, she was devastated. I was pointlessly cruel and selfish, and now I'm paying for it. How? One reason. When I woke up last Friday, everyone I crossed paths with hated my guts. At first... People just glared when I was walking by, but then it got worse. They called me names like cheater and scumbag while I walked to my first class. A couple people spat at me. I tried to stay in the back of the classroom, hoping that no one would be close enough to be affected by this curse. But everyone just looked at me. Then they just started throwing anything they could. I'm talking backpacks, textbooks, laptops, everything that wasn't nailed down. And they weren't gifts. Nowhere was safe. There were too many people everywhere. I walked off campus and just kept going. People rolled down their windows and threw things at me while I walked down the street. I tried getting on a bus and the driver just laughed. Told me to fuck off and close the door. After a few hours, I found an abandoned building and camped out inside for the rest of the day. Knowing that would be all over after midnight but it isn't over. Every time I leave this place, people keep attacking me. I have to run away so they'll snap out of it. I've been stuck here for three days now. What the hell do I do? A young boy from our town died recently, and I can't get it out of my mind. This isn't just a random face I glanced at the newspaper or saw on a local newscast. No, this is different. I've seen this boy before. He was in my sister's grade. He lived a few blocks away on the main street of the small town. I've definitely seen this boy before. I saw him occasionally while picking up my sister from school. I saw him at the local supermarket with his mom and at a skate park near my job. I saw him riding his bike tirelessly around our neighborhood for hours on end. I've seen this boy many times. 
I wish I would have saw him the night when I sped through the crosswalk. If I saw him then, maybe I could stop seeing him now. I used to hate being an only child, but then I met Jacob Spencer. The kid has six siblings, all much younger than him, who he had to take care of while his mother was working three jobs to keep them fed. He never had free time, never got a good night's rest, never seemed happy. That boy was just a ball of stress and fatigue every time I saw him at school. When I crossed paths with Jacob a few months back, he was walking home from the center of town. I was heading back to my place in the same direction, riding my bicycle down the street when I saw him rubbing his temples and cursing to himself. I cruised up to him and eased on my brakes. Hey Jake, long time no see. You alright? No Kenny, he snapped. I just got laid off and no one in this town is hiring. I don't have a car, so I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Hey, no worries pal, I told him. Listen. I had the same problem a while back, but I got a job a few miles out of town, at a gas station, on the highway. I have to bike there, but it's not that bad. I don't have a bike, Jacob said, dismissing my suggestion. You can borrow my old one if you like, I offered. The chain is a little loose, but the tires are fine. Jacob looked up at me, almost confused by my generosity. You do that? Of course, I promised. Here, my place is a couple minutes away. I'll let you ride it around, see if it works out for you. That afternoon, Jacob and I rode bikes all around town for a few hours. He was all smiles. After we returned to my place, Jacob took a moment to gather himself before telling me something that I'll never forget. I've never felt more free, Kenny. Not once, not ever. I have to pay you back for this. No need, man, I said. You keep that bike, make some good use of it. And I shit you not, he cried right in front of me. He told me how much it meant to him, how he promised his mom that he'd keep the family together on her deathbed. How running into me felt like a blessing because now he had the means to keep the promise. We parted as friends and I felt honored to have been a helping hand to someone in need. I heard about Jacob's death a few days later. Apparently, he was riding his new bike along the highway when he lost control of the bike while going downhill and weaved directly into a semi's path. Last I heard, the Spencer kids were all in foster care and keeping them together wasn't a priority for the state. Spencer made a promise to keep his family together. In a misguided act of kindness, I accidentally broke that promise for him. If you've ever passed through Ashwood, Oregon, chances are you haven't noticed it. Maybe you stopped by and bought a snack at our general store or used our restrooms before moving on to Salem or Eugene. Maybe you spent the night at a family's motel. You wouldn't remember it though. It's a highway town, a rest stop, nothing special. We notice you, but you don't notice us. Some days, everyone who passes by keeps going and no one stops. It's so common that it's not even worth mentioning. It happens all the time. But when last Wednesday came and no one even passed by, we sure as hell noticed. My father and a few others drove down the highway checking to see if the road had been closed. Rumors swirled. Some thought that we had been caught between road work on both sides. 
Others assumed that we had been quarantined. None of our phones worked, and the radios were all static. So you could imagine that those were the more tame theories. When one of the patrollers got back that night, he said that he had gone as far as Millsburg. Between here and there, every other highway town seemed normal, but Millsburg was abandoned. Ran into someone who lives near Freeway Lakes on the way back, he told us. He'd gone all the way to Salem, not a soul in sight. My dad had gone south, planning to go as far as Eugene. He never came back. And just like that, two of Oregon's biggest cities were ghost towns. Over 300,000 people were unaccounted for, my dad included. One patroller said that the ranch he'd stopped by was completely abandoned, animals included. Other patrollers hadn't seen any wildlife along the roads either. Alien abduction or invasion became the prevailing theory. This weekend, a couple of patrollers didn't come back. No one's checking the roads anymore. Yesterday morning, we woke up to find the south side of town abandoned. No signs of struggle were found. They were just gone. My sister decided to take their chances and hit the road. They went north, leaving me behind when I admitted that I was too afraid of leaving. They didn't come back. This morning, I woke up to find everyone else gone. My neighbors, their pets, everyone. The sun's setting. Maybe it's setting on me tonight. Maybe everything. I've stopped looking out the windows. There's no one coming. But I stay behind my desk in the motel lobby in case someone does show up. And I ask myself why. Am I still a motel clerk if there's no one to check in? Am I a son anymore if my dad's gone for good? Am I still a brother if my sister never comes back? Who am I if I'm no one to anyone? And for how much longer?